Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Nikki Tinson, founder of Empowered Analyst and professional development expert in data analytics. During her 20 plus years in the field, Nikki developed a passion for supporting analytics professionals in their careers and decided to create a training and coaching business, which she runs part-time alongside her principal activity. In this episode, we talk about the stigmas around part-time working, especially for individuals in leadership positions. Nikki explains why she prefers the term reduced hours rather than part-time working, and you will hear step-by-step how she was able to work reduced hours without making a salary sacrifice. Hi Nikki, welcome to the Women in Data podcast. I am so excited to have you with me today. I feel like we have so much in common in terms of what we're trying to achieve and what we're doing for the community. It's amazing that we actually get to exchange and support each other. And I couldn't be happier to have you here today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, you know, inviting me on. And yeah, definitely really excited as well. And like you say, I think the conversations we've had over LinkedIn and the calls that we've had previously, like you say, there's so much overlap. And I think it's nice, isn't it, in our careers where we can meet like-minded people. It really helps you level up, I think. So yeah, really looking forward to talking today. Couldn't agree more. There are so many things we could talk about. I want to say selfishly, it's a topic I, I want to talk about. It's uh, We're talking about working in reduced hours and how to do that. And also, I, I think when we spoke, what I was really impressed with was the fact that you managed to work reduced hours without getting a pay cut. So I want to hear more about that on the podcast. But before we get into today's topic, can I invite you to introduce yourself? So obviously I'm Nikki. So I guess as a way of background with my career, I've worked in data roles for nearly 20 years. I feel really old saying that, but yeah, sadly it's it's got to that point. So things have changed a lot in that time. So it's been amazing to kind of see the industry and how it's growing. Um, I've got sort of two hats really. I work for a training company and so we deliver a particular types of courses, leadership and management, but also data um, so I'm in the data team um, and I deliver their um, level four data analytics course, which keeps me on my toes, which is great. So I feel like I'm constantly learning as well. So I do that four days a week. Um, and I also started my own business up about four years ago called Empowered Analysts and um, probably similar to, I think, what you're doing as well, that kind of hybrid approach. There's been so much growth with that. So I um, initially worked with different clients, people who wanted to get into the data industry, um, but I'm also working with a corporate client at the moment and training and developing in sort of specifically Power BI. So yeah, a real kind of breadth of, of what I do right now. So hard to hard to describe that quickly, really. Four days a week, you're doing learning and development. And one day a week, you're also doing learning and development, although in a different way. So would you say that this is your passion? 
Yeah, I think that's where I got to probably about four years ago and, and why I started um, my business. Because I got to this point, I'd gone back to work after having my second child, so my daughter. I have a son and a daughter. And I've always been like wanting to grow naturally in, in who I am. I, I've not had a, like a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, but I've always got to that point where I'm like, I'm ready for something else now. What What is it? And I, I got to that point and I couldn't really think about what would, what the next step was for me. So at that point, I wasn't a manager and I had managed some people, but it had kind of gone on the guise of almost like an analyst, sort of like them managing people without the, the, the credit of the title. And so I was kind of wanting to go into a manager role, but it didn't seem to be happening where I was. And, and I thought, well, even if I do that, where am I, where am I kind of going? It was a a real kind of like crossroads for me. And I guess to cut a long story short, I started looking at, yeah, training courses and and getting really excited about the concept of coaching other people. And about 20 years ago, I'd actually um, trained to be uh, a teacher because I was going to go into education or psychology and it hadn't worked out, right? So I'd inadvertently ended up in the data world and not by like deliberate sort of intention. It just kind of happened. And so this was, um, yeah, that kind of calling, but, you know, not necessarily for like children. This was about kind of coaching people within, you know, who were adults. And because my specialism was with data, it just made sense. And, and I could see that it was something that really excited me. And I thought, actually, this is what I could see me doing, coaching, mentoring, training. Um, but with that data spin, because as a data professional, we know the challenges that there are, you know, in actually adding value with what we do technically and learning that, but also how we communicate with stakeholders, you know, how we articulate value, how we sell an idea, all of these things we're not really taught. And I don't know about you, but I've just kind of you know, fumbled my way through those things. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought there's such a massive gap there. You know, there's such a massive gap in in coaching um, data professionals who clearly cost a certain amount of money for a business. And are we investing in them, not just technically, but all those softer skills, all that kind of reflective time that we need to really improve? And um, so that's where it came from. And yeah, and so I changed role about uh, was in September last year from a business intelligence manager on the senior leadership team in the automotive industry into this training role in Quandell. And it's just the move I was really ready for. And it just, it's complements my business so much there's so much I'm learning so it feels like lots of things have been coming together and are really in alignment with each other I can feel the energy and or the passion you have for it but while you were speaking I was thinking there is something else we have in common now Uh, I didn't train to be a teacher this was my career of choice teaching so my my goal was to teach and then just before I went to my master's I decided I wasn't going to to go down that route and I was going to do data and it was also very random it was just what am I going to do now oh you're good at statistics go there and I could totally also relate to the story you said about you know you just kind of have to find how to deal with how to learn the softer skills on your own and how to deal with stakeholders and all these things this is something that didn't come to me naturally at all uh, so I'm I'm very pleased to know that there are people like you out there helping people with that and there is myself as well starting with the thriving analyst hopefully four years down the road I can be to where you're at today and have the same conversation I love what you're doing and I think when I saw the name of your you know what you're doing the thriving analyst I was like yay that this is amazing someone who's got I think it's bringing that kind of 
like that really open feel to the agenda as well. I think traditionally, you know, those data tech roles have had a bit of a flavour to them. It's very kind of has felt my perception is that it's quite, you know, technical, keep get your head down. And we know in reality, you know, that's where the data industry is evolving and and people are recognising that we can't do that. But actually with that comes a certain level of vulnerability because code is very different to actually speaking to people and maybe getting rejected and people saying no. And why are you telling me this? And what, what on earth does this mean? You know, I mean, you're often as a data professional dealing with very senior people in the business, you know, you don't necessarily have the domain knowledge that they have or the, the, the years of experience, but you're often around a table with them. And it's almost like we're just left to fend for yourself. And so I think having, you know, these concepts like Empowered Analysts and the Thriving Analysts gives this really exciting edge to it to me, which is it's not just about the code. It's about you developing as a person as well, bringing that to the table as a unique individual, that what I bring will be different to what someone else brings. And they're all really important and really rich. I totally agree with that. Oh my God, I think at some point I will come and pick up your brain on how you set up your business and and all these things. Not a problem at all. (laughs) But uh, you can't say no anymore. (laughs) Happy to share the the journey. I I want to talk about working. So you you don't want to say part-time. You want to say working reduced hours. How long has this been going for and why not part-time? So if I give a bit of background on yeah my journey over the last you know nearly 10 years um so I in 2012 I had my first child my son um so yeah he is going to be 10 this year oh it's amazing it's I'm I'm I want to say it went fast but I'm not sure it has it's been a it has been a lot of growth in 10 years for all of us yeah it's definitely been a very interesting journey I think being um, a parent and and going on that um, and particularly looking at that in context of work and career in terms of the hours that I work I I reduced my hours in my last business in 2020 in the end. It was a September, but had I'd been thinking the year before, I think I need to reduce my hours. And I suppose to, to kind of go back to your question of why reduced hours, for me, um, and, and this was to really help challenge my own mindset around it, the word part-time feels like it's got some connotations around, you know, people are joking, oh, you're a part-timer. You're. It's almost as if you're not really committed. You're not here all the time. So all the time, meaning the same time we're all here, not that everybody could, because no one works 24 seven, but the same time as everybody else, right? So if you're not doing what we're doing, then you're a part timer and you're not really committed and you don't really, you're not really invested in the, the business and the team. And there's that kind of feel to it. And it can be done in a jokey way. So for example, when I went back to work after having my son, I went back to work full time and I w- was doing the same number of hours as other people. But because of childcare, I'd requested my hours were adjusted so that I worked shorter lunch breaks to half an hour and left a little earlier on certain days. And I would get the jokes, oh, you're a part-timer, oh, you're leaving, off you go then, you know, those things. And it's really difficult, it's a challenge, I think, that banter. But those things can, I think, reinforce that feeling of you're not really committed. And I was doing full-time hours. But so so my challenge around the part-time thing is around that, that kind of, just because I'm not working the same length of hours as somebody else, 
doesn't mean that I don't really care about what I'm doing when I'm there. And it doesn't mean that I can't add tremendous value. So because of that kind of culture that I think can, and I think it's still there, even in, you know, someone's due to work 40 hours a week and someone else works 50, there can be a a perception that the person who's 50 working 50 hours a week is somehow more valuable and adds more kind of return on investment than the one working 40. But actually, we know that's not true because the one working 40 might be far more efficient. They might be doing things to add far more value. But we still culturally in our workplaces have this thing around, if you're a leader, particularly, you know, work long hours, you've got to do, that means you're committed, it means you care. So all of this stuff was wrapped up in part time for me. And um, and I really needed to challenge that within myself. Hence why I changed that that terminology, because it also helps prompt this discussion to open it up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really great. And I, I might start using that because when I, when you were talking about, you know, people saying, oh, you there you go, it's time for you to leave and all these things. Although I don't have children, I I had to leave a bit early in my first job at some point. Uh, so I was coming in earlier and then leaving earlier because I was helping a, out a friend who was, who was unwell. And I did have these kind of comments as well, which was, you know, I, I was thinking, I was here before you. You don't see what I do. You're not my line manager. Why do you comment on? how many hours I'm in the office or when I leave and all these things. So I can relate to that. And I bet a lot of people can. And you touch also on, as a leader, the expectations of you being here and um, being productive and all these things. How did you have this conversation? Did you feel like you had more, it was more difficult for you to go and work reduced hours because you were a leader or was it uh, the same difficulty as anyone else? So the journey I kind of got to by the time, by the time I was broaching the conversation with my line manager, who is a director, I'd mentally gone through some shifts. So when I'd gone back to work um, after having my son and I went back to work full time, I went through some, a journey there around just, you know, working full time as a mother. And was that allowed? Was it okay to work full time and still be a good mum? Like, could you do it? And I was like, yeah, you can, you can work full time and you can be an amazing mum and you can, you know, have career progression and do these things. So they, I'd gone through that journey and I, I knew from that, that there was a lot of things in my own mind that were coming out and that I needed to, to work through. And so when I, when I was about to broach this conversation with my line manager, I could see all of this stuff coming through in my mind, which is, um, you know, I'm a manager now. Am I allowed to do this? Can and I, because I'd already been through a bit of a journey with that, with my the motherhood working full time. I was like, okay, this is just my head. This is just my conditioned beliefs popping up. This is really interesting. And before I come and broach this with someone else, I need to start working through this because I'm just going to see that everywhere. Um, because I, I believe, you know, I realize that I believe that a leader would be stressed, would, would have to work really long hours, would have to drop everything for that role. And it wasn't possible to do it any differently. Because I'd come from a generation where I think a lot of a lot of mothers were the caregivers and a lot of fathers, you know, certainly in my house, you know, were, were working long hours. And that was the model. That was the only model that I'd really seen. And so it was about redesigning the model and, and having a new model. So it's not the only way it can be. It can look differently. So I recognized that in my own mind, there were some very strong beliefs around what a leader looked like. And 
I have to say that the the whole process of asking for reduced hours was incredibly um, uncomfortable. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was one of the most uncomfortable conversations I've ever had at work because I'm such a people pleaser and I'm very conscientious and I don't like to be disapproved of. So what happened was I kind of had this period of time where I was thinking about it. And then I, I actually just popped the idea past my line manager going, you know, I'm feeling like I've got to a place where I need some, you know, it was about self-care as much as having some time to work on my business, but also not just that, just to have some time for me, <laughs> to have a day and some breathing space. So I put this idea in a, in a one-to-one I ha- we had together and I just said, look, this is kind of on my mind. I'm not asking for it right now. I'm just saying this is where my head's at. So that for me, it softened the conversation of like, I just need you to know where I'm at. And so I did that and he was like, okay. And and we kind of moved on. And then several months later, um, I picked it up again and, you know, and asked more formally in an email, um, which I can explain a bit more in a minute. But when we were having the conversations, what came really evident for me was that he he was in a similar place in his own mind as I was, which is leaders should be very um, present. In a, so this was pre-COVID as well. They should be around in a business. People should be able to see them all the time. And, to, you know, five days a week was really important. That was very, very clear. And so that triggered loads of stuff off in me because I, I believe the same thing. You know, it's very easy for me to kind of like say, well, it, it he, he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, as open as maybe other other people might have been but actually we came from a really similar background and so what that allowed me to do was to be more compassionate in the situation because I realized that actually we just had very similar condition beliefs so because I was able then to see what was the the rubbish that was going on in my own head (laughs) was coming out in him and we were just acting our beliefs out I was able to step out of it a bit and kind of go, well, you know, things that I'm doing are actually making sure I empower my team, that when I'm not there, they don't need me because they're really able to work by themselves. I think about things, I'm much more proactive. So what I did was I turned the whole thing on its head and and I said, you know, and I make sure that I have one-to-one conversations with all these heads of department and that we're really thinking about the next three months. So I made, I engineered the situation so I had an answer to any objections, anything that could possibly have come up. Um, and actually, when it came down to it, I think he didn't explicitly say this. I think he could start to see that actually I had a lot of really good things in place. I, I really cared about the business and I wanted it to do well. And so, the sh- you know, the short story is he agreed to me doing four days a week and it was never an issue. You know, the, the year I spent another year there in the business before I left and and it was fine and it worked. And the way I look at it now is that it was still really uncomfortable. <laughs> like it was. So I'm not, you know, but but I recognise it was uncomfortable as much because because of me looking for approval and me looking for that and, and seeing those beliefs play out. So I still had that year of I wanted to prove to myself it was possible as well. And I did. And, and I, yeah, I just really feel it was one of those moments of like trailblazing and, and hopefully paving the way for other people and, and paying that forward. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I can see how that conversation can be un- uncomfortable, especially if there are loads of self beliefs involved as well. So you, you did say that for you to ask that question, you first started by saying, 
this is where I am at at the moment. This is what comes in my mind. And then you went and did the formal request via email. Could you walk us through the step-to-step, the step-by-step of how to actually ask to reach you, to work yeah, with you? I'm, I'm happy to share my um, my journey. Um, and I'm not saying the way I did it is the, the, the only way or is the way people should do it. Um, I did it in a way that felt good to me. So because there was no rush for me to work reduced hours, it wasn't as if I was doing it off the back of coming off a maternity leave, for example. I didn't feel I needed to do it in a way that felt very light for me as much as I could and, and really do it in a way that felt organic and authentic. So that was one of the things that I had to just recognise, like, what does that look like for me? So I guess you know, that would be something to think about if, if, if that is, um, you know, someone listening to this is thinking about it. What does that look like for you? How do you want this process of asking for reduced hours to work for you? And and because it's about relationship, it's about relationship with those people after you've you know reduced your hours um, on the assumption that that goes ahead. And so that was really important for me that I kept connection and I kept good working relationships with my line manager through the process and that he didn't feel like he had to say yes and that he was kind of pushed into a corner. So I yeah, I did that first by just, you know, obviously putting the, the, the idea out and just explaining where I was at. Because from an emotional point of view and a, a human point of view, it just allows that person to see where you're at. But again, it's scary because it's vulnerable because you have to go, actually, I'm a human being who has limits and I can't do all things for all people all the time. And I think that, you know, is vulnerable. And then when I did the email, I um, I did it in an email because I wanted to set out certain things in a really logical way. And that was really helpful for me. Again, I'm not saying that it should be done by email, but it just it just helped me. And so the way I approached it was, I guess I saw it as a bit of a sales pitch, really, which is that you've got to kind of persuade someone, you know, and, and you know, get them on board. So why should they buy into this concept? And I'm a really big fan of this. There's a quote by a, a gentleman called Zig Ziglar, which is around essentially, if you want to get what you want out of life, help other people get what they want. Because when you do that, everybody wins. And so often what I will do in um, an email, if I'm trying to, you know, go down a particular path is look at what the benefits are to, you know, for the business or for that person first. So I did start off by saying, you know, I'm considering looking at reducing my hours. And this is why, because, you know, just so that there was that context there. And then I kind of went on to um, really, I really want to ensure that the business is supported, that that doesn't impact the business and we can still, you know, really add value with what we're doing in the area. And so I looked at the, you know, what we were trying to achieve, what we were, you know, how we could kind of make that happen and continue to make that happen. And then look at what, um, you know, think about what the what could be the objection? So it could it be cover for like if a data warehouse failed? Do I have other people in the team that know how to do that? So I basically went through any areas that could be a risk or be seen as a risk and look at how I'd already mitigated that and put those things in place. So I, before I'd asked for it, I'd already thought about it. I'd already put things in place. So it wasn't like, if I'm going to do this, then I'll put those things in place. I'd already done it and I'd already kind of like dealt with those issues and yeah I really just tried to engineer the email so that it was very focused on the business and about making sure that we were we were thriving and that we were going to make sure we we could continue that so that it, it didn't become an objection 
You know, when people say, when you want to ask for something, so there is always when you want to ask for something, just like you said, you have to think about what benefits that would bring for the other person. And we tend to think, well, when I say we, I mean I. <laughs> uh, so it's always, okay, so what will they get from that? But what you just said is something a bit different. So it's not what will they get from that. It's more of a kind of reassuring them that the work is going to get done to the same level as it is done where you there five days a week, which actually helps me think clearer because I'm I'm thinking, how would you actually say, oh, me working four days a week is going to be beneficial for you? While what you're saying is me working four days a week is not going to change anything. And actually it's going to make the team more efficient and more knowledgeable because the knowledge is going to be passed around and there will be more people being capable of doing different things. I think at the beginning of the email, I did as part of the, like, the reason I'm doing this is self-care. And I I was conscious that because I was running my own business, I didn't, again, I didn't want there to be this conflict of, I'm stopping this because I'd like a day a week to work on my own business because, you know, that was you know, a bit of a, a challenge as well. But I tried to, um, I tried to kind of talk more broadly about having that time off would benefit the business as well, because I'm more refreshed. I've had that space. And, you know, we talk about, you know, in, in a data, particularly a, a technical role, you can't just write code all the time. You need to have time out of it. You need to have time to re-refresh, to step back. There's often where you solve your code problems, right? is when you're not actually looking at the code. So there's even there, there's benefits. So if I work a little less, I'm more refreshed. I'm coming into this um, with um, more, you know, different context. Um, and, you know, and having that time away, having that self-care, you know, even in that first paragraph, I was like, I really believe that will benefit the business. You know, and then I did go on to talk about the things that I think I would would be like, well, if you're working less hours, I'm going to get less done. How is that going to, you know, impact the business? And as you say, I was able to talk about helping mentor other people more. You know, it's all about kind of sharing that knowledge. You take a risk away because it's not all coming from one person. You know, you strengthen your team. It's it's training. We want to. We don't want to lose other people. We want to keep on growing them. There's all of these, you know, great things that can come out when we think a little bit differently. Yeah, I, I guess um, <laughs> there are two kind of cliches when it comes to working reduced hours. And the first one is you you just end up squeezing five days in four. And the other one is you're going to have to sacrifice your salary. And you manage not to get into any of these situations. So I'm interested in hearing how you did that and how one can avoid falling into these traps. Yeah. So if I take the salary piece first, just to kind of clarify where I, where I was with salary. So, um, my, my salary was pro rata down to four days a week. But what's where, where I've really challenged myself on the salary, you know, so I was paid less because I was doing less days. But I, what I didn't do when I went for my new role was go, I'm going to sacrifice the, the level of salary I would ask because I want to work less hours because it was seen as like a benefit. And I think what I see sometimes is this feeling of like, um, you know, particularly as parents as well, um, that a lot of people, flexibility is really, is a really big thing. Flexibility and, and potentially working reduced hours. And there can instantly, very quickly be this cascade of thoughts of, 
do you know what? I'm in this job and I'm so lucky because I get to work three or four days a week and I've got flexibility and the bar shifts down on salary. So I don't want to push myself on salary because you can't have it all. And I'm really grateful for what I've got. And I'm big on gratitude. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely think that gratitude needs to be part of every day. We need to be constantly grateful. It doesn't mean that we can't challenge ourselves on certain issues and stretch ourselves. So when I was looking for a job, I had these hilarious conversations with recruiters. And um, and I was like, look, I'm looking for this kind of role. And I was looking at like head of data type of roles when I, when I ended up looking for roles last year, you know, that kind of salary level. And, um, and I want to work four days a week. And and actually, what happened off the back of speaking to the recruiters was I thought, I don't actually really want to go into an office. <laughs> so talk about wanting to have it all. And um, and ironically, I ended up getting um, the job at a salary that I wanted, which is what I was looking for. So that I didn't sacrifice that level. And I, you know, I got a massive um, pay increase compared to what I was on before, which is what I was ready for. Um, but the fact that I w- was choosing to look for a job that was four days a week to me, in my own head, I had to get to the point where that was neither here nor there. That wasn't, I'm getting four days a week instead of getting the salary that I want. It was like, I want this salary because I know that I add value and I know that I deserve to have that salary. And I want four days a week because that is what I'm looking for in my life. And if someone can't offer me that, then that is completely fine. But I'm not, that is not the place for me to be. And I do want flexibility as well. And I'd like to work from home, but I got it. And I work 100% remote now. And I have an incredibly flexible role. And the salary is what I wanted. And um, and I work four days a week. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that some of the recruiters I spoke to really struggled with it. And I, I knew that they were not the people for me to work with. You know, it was about kind of going, okay, that's fine. You think that I don't. <laughs> So, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah, so definitely not letting others influence your beliefs from this perspective because had you let them come into your head and then say, no, you can't have that or you have to lower your expectations a bit, maybe you would have done that, but you were very set on, this is what I want and this is what I'm getting, um, this is what I'm worth, yeah. And I did go for a head of, um, it was a head of insight role and they were looking for someone full time. And I knew that the recruiter I worked with at the time was like, you know, uh, could you, could you sort of, you know, could you do five days a week? And I was like, no, I, I mean, obviously I could, but I didn't want to. And that was really important to me. And it's re- the challenge with these things is that no one's going to come back around and say, we're not going to give you the job because you want to work four days a week because that's just a, you know, like it's not the done thing people are not going to say that so there's some reading between the lines that I think you have to do around it um but ultimately I think the way I see it is that if if that is where a business is if they cannot see it's possible to be a leader working less than full time I don't think that's the place for me to work because I know it's possible I know you can add tremendous value you don't have to be working full-time you don't have to be working 60 hours a week to be an exceptional leader and the more people we have doing it showcasing that it's possible the more normal it will be a bit like is it possible to work from home pre-covid the the world we live in now people wouldn't have ever 
allowed. But now it's really normal. So it just requires a few people doing this, getting really vocal about, look, look what I'm doing. Look at how you can add value. Look at how actually me working a leader as a leader three or four days a week is saving you loads of money. Agreed. So to close off this episode, uh, I always ask if there is any resource that uh, helps you in your personal development and career development that you could share with the with the audience. Yeah, so I, I had a few things down for this. Um, I think there's been so much stuff that I've listened to off, over the last kind of like 5, 10, 15 years, and I put them into different pots. One of them is really looking at work that's like focusing on the subconscious. So um, I have a friend of mine who's um, a Jungian coach, which is um, looking at the work of Carl Jung. And that's fascinating. So anything you can kind of look at around that, looking at the shadow, which is the bits of ourselves that we reject um, and, and how actually that plays out in our life is really powerful. So, you know, it might be about, you know, my beliefs about motherhood. So rejecting the concept of like the, the full-time mother and how we blend those things together and find something new is very very powerful so that's been um, an amazing journey that I've gone on so all that kind of deeper subconscious work and how it drives us I think as a an entrepreneur and like going on that entrepreneurial journey and the terror that invokes which you might appreciate I think you know developing your own area as well the fear of the fear of what happens if it doesn't work what's the point you know why am I doing this like what where is this going um anyone I mean any podcasts that that, that look at you know entrepreneurs um James Wedmore was one I listened to he's quite into the kind of like woo-woo stuff um and there's loads of entrepreneurs out there you know really about finding people that you resonate with I think that having that side hustle makes you stronger as a person in so many ways being not just an employee but being the person that the buck stops with I think that journey and just naturally you know sharing that with with other entrepreneurs and then I have loads of books I love reading one of them and I probably my the one that always pops to mind is Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and um it's so it profoundly impacted me reading that I think you know before I had my son so many things like you know the tiara syndrome and she talks about not just getting your head stuck down you know raising you don't just assume that people are going to come and reward you for your work it's your career you've got to go and you know go and work out what you want and go and make it happen um, and really challenging me as a woman about how I kind of you know come to the table and really and really get involved um, so yeah those are my kind of key key resources I think. Yeah, I had Yamini as well in the episode 61 talking about Lean In and we were talking about the fact that this is also a book that resonated with me quite a lot. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Nikki. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.